this by the by the uh, speaking of tongues and things of that nature. And now Peter is preaching here. And as Peter is preaching to the people in Jerusalem, he is preaching a message that we all should preach, and that is basically Jesus Christ crucified. Uh, he explains to the people of Jerusalem there that they have crucified the Savior, crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he is risen, he is alive, uh, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, he's ascended. And we're going to pick up here in 2 and 37 as they begin to question Peter. So in verse chapter 2, verse 37 of Acts, Peter says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And when, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Let's bow our heads for prayer on God's word. Most kind, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word you've given us tonight. Lord, we pray you give us the ability to preach it in truth, the way you would have it to be preached and taught. We pray, Lord, your spirit goes out through the preaching of your word, Lord, and would grow people closer to you, Lord, and you would reveal the truth to them, Lord. And if sooner be lost and undone, Lord, that your spirit would draw them to a state of repentance before it is too late that they believe on your son, Jesus Christ. We love you and thank you and pray for your help tonight, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. All right, in Acts 2, 37 40, we see here as he has preached Jesus, as we said earlier, and the people in Jerusalem now um, have heard the message any time you hear a word from God, it gets you to a place of decision. There is never a time that God's word is, even when you read it personally at home, that you are not expected to have a response. Uh, it should make you worship. It should make you convicted. It should make you repent. It should, it should bring some response from you spiritually. And as we look here and as he has preached to these people, it says there in verse 37 that they were pricked in their hearts. And the easiest way to put that in modern southern terms, they were convicted. They saw what they'd done wrong through the preaching of Jesus Christ. And the same time today, when we preach Jesus Christ crucified to others, that is the way to bring someone to a state of conviction. There is no way you're going to bully them, beat them, beg them, plead them, or anything else into, into actual spirit-filled conviction. You may make them feel bad. You may make them feel guilty. You may make them not want to talk to you anymore, possibly, if you get too personal with them. But if you simply tell them about Jesus Christ and how he died for them, then that should put them under a conviction. That conviction is what we see later on there where it talks about how they, God calls them. God calls you when he convicts you. And all of us that are saved here has experienced conviction. And I pray if you've truly been saved, you still experience conviction when you get out of line with God and God disciplines you and chastises you. But as the people of Jerusalem experience conviction, they ask Peter a question that all of us have been asked, if we've witnessed, testified, or anything else, when it says, men and brethren, what shall we do? They're basically saying, what shall we do to be saved? They know they've done wrong. They know that they are at fault here. But they realize that somehow they need to be saved. John 6, 44 says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. This is Jesus speaking. And I will raise him up at the last days. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. So as God draws them, and as it says in Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Then the question comes, 
what to be saved. And we are the very, and I'm talking about the universal church here, not just the people in this building, but the church as a whole is great at overcomplicating what we must do to be saved. As we go out and talk to people about salvation, those that aren't saved, nine times out of ten, don't know what to do to be saved. They may have been raised in church, they may know all kinds of Christian people, and they may have had people talk to them. But the problem is we communicate to people in a language they don't understand. It's called church language. We tell them things like, well, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. That's very confusing for someone who doesn't attend church. Because that number one, that's not in the Bible anywhere. Number two, how do you ask Jesus into your heart? Number three, what does that even mean? You see, these are things that, you know, even as we hear them constantly, to an outsider, a person outside the church, it just presents confusion. They say, okay, do I just sit and say, Jesus, come in, and it's, it, boom, that happens? The Bible doesn't bear that out, but it's something that's you know, consistently said. Or we say things like, well, you, you need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, which is true, but again, many people hear that and it just presents confusion. So the question is, how can we get down to a level, to a point, where it makes more sense for the outsider of the church to understand what it truly means to have a relationship? How do they get into that relationship with Jesus Christ? We all agree that in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible tells that we are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. But I think we all also realize that as it is a gift of God, we must do something to accept that gift that is given. The book of Acts chapter 16 verse 30 tells us, it says, And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into the house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So as we see what, the, what they're telling the Jew there later on in Acts, Notice he doesn't say anything about walking the aisle. He doesn't say anything about coming to the front of the church. And people, I've heard people say to, well, I can't get saved because I got to be at the front of a church. And again, that's not in the Bible. It's a good place to get saved, but you ain't got to happen there. But these are all things people hear that get them all torn to pieces and all confused. When the Bible is very clear, it is more about belief. It is all about faith and very little about the church things that we present people and confuse them with. So as we see Peter here, Peter has to respond in some way they can understand. Remember, this is a brand new church. Christian churches haven't existed for, for you know, 100 years or uh, even much longer now than what we exist. So he has to find a way to explain it. So he gives them the word repent. Now the word repent, again, is a word so often misused. But if you see it time and time again throughout the Bible, when they're talking about salvation, they command people to repent. And sadly, if you go back probably a little bit over a hundred years now in most Baptist churches, when they say, what must you do to be saved, it was repent and believe. Repent and believe. Very simple command. But as we look at the word repent, a lot of times in today's world we equate repent with living sinless, being perfect, being holy. But that's not what the word repent means at all. If you go back to the Greek, and I went back to the Greek this week just because I was trying to find the best definition, the word simply means to reconsider, to change our mind. There is no way to be saved without a change of mind and a change of heart. You see, so oftentimes we, we equate salvation to uh, a certain prayer or repeat after me or this and that, and, and it can take place at that point, but before any of that happens, you have to have an acknowledgement, a belief, a, a surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. The things we change our mind about, first thing we change our mind about, we change our mind about God. 
But he tells you something, when you are lost and undone, you may believe in a God, you may acknowledge that God exists, but the Bible says the devil and his demons know that God exists and they tremble. It is not just believing that God exists, but it is having a healthy, reverent fear about who God is, that He's a holy, righteous God, that we have sinned and broke His law, and that He is coming as a judge to condemn us to a devil's hell because a just God must condemn a lost sinner. And there's no other way around it. If he does not condemn you as a lost sinner, he is not a just God, and he is not uh, the God the Bible promises us. And we have to first realize that with the condition we are in, that we stand deserving condemnation in a devil's hell, and that the just God of the universe is going to send us there. You're not going to talk your way out of it, beg your way out of it, plead your way out of it, or work your way out of it, because you stand in the condition in which you're in. The second thing we have to change our mind about is our sin. You see, we, we can all pretend that we're, we're all perfect here, but the bottom line is the Bible tells us that we enjoy season. We enjoy sin, but for a season. The fact of the matter is people commit sins because it feels good. Uh, that people do drugs because they think it makes them feel good. People uh, commit adultery because they think it makes them feel good. People uh, participate in greed because of the fleshly pleasure that is in it. But you see, when we reconsider, rethink, and, and change our mind, we have to change our mind about sin. We have to come to realize that sin is what gets us in the position that we're in. We have to come to acknowledge that sin is what causes the problems that we have in this, in the life that we're living. We have to come to realize that even though sin may give us pleasure for a season, that the cost outweighs uh, uh, the pleasure. When I became saved, when I became born again, my idea of sin went from Hey, this is going to get me in trouble. Hey, this could get me, uh, sin could get me sent to jail. Hey, sin could get me suspended or things like that. Or my focus wasn't on getting caught by man anymore, but my focus was on a fear of sinning against a living God. My focus was the fact that sin could possibly cause God to, to bring judgment upon me. It became, as the Bible says, I began to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. That I knew who God was and I knew the effect my sin had on God. That he didn't like it, period. was no way to justify it, no way to make it right. And I began to grieve my sin. I knew that when I sinned, it, it, it pained me. And when I come today, when I look at the Bible, and I'll tell you right now, any pastor that says he is never convicted as a liar, or, or at least I pray he's convicted, because there's so many times I get in the Word and I find somewhere that I need to fix better my life with God, and it grieves me that I know that I'm living a way that disappoints God. And what do I do? I try to change. Try to pick it up. Try to do better. I repent. I change my mind about my action. And I repent. It also makes us think differently about ourselves. We, for the most part, people love themselves. And you may think that people don't because we live in a time with all this depression, anxiety. But for the most part, people love themselves. And sadly, in uh, lost people sometimes love themselves more than anybody because it becomes all about us. Uh, when I was unsaved, I was going to work my way into heaven. I was going to earn my way into heaven. I thought I was a pretty good guy because I, you know, I didn't do drugs, didn't, didn't do anything real wrong. I was a good person. I would help people. I went to school, obeyed the law, obeyed my parents, done good things. But it does not make a comparison to God. And when I looked at myself on God's scale, which is perfect, which is holy, which is righteous, I realized just how much I fell short. And it brought me and humbled me down real quick. The pride all of a sudden went away because I realized just how reliant I was on God. 
You see, it, it, it produced a sorrow in my heart the night that conviction hit. If we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8, we see what the experience of, of true conviction, true, respe- true repentance is. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8, the Bible tells us, I'll get my page unstuck. It says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were for but a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves, ye what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You see, he wrote a letter there to Corinth. They were living uh, sinful lives. They were living uh, lives that were what we would consider carnal. And when he done this, they were convicted. And what did they do? They repent. They mourned their sin. They had sorrow for the state they were in. And when they did that, it produced a change in them. When we look at the book of uh, book of James, chapter two, verse fourteen, a familiar section that we've heard uh, several times before. It says, "What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him?" If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them, not those things which ye are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it have not worth, works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, what faith without works is dead? You see, a true faith, a true repentance produces true works. And I'll tell you, a lot of people are afraid of that word repent because they feel like it makes it a work-based salvation, but it does not. Because the bottom line is that those good works is not what saves us. It's that belief in Jesus Christ that produces those good works that saves us. You see, when I come to a saving knowledge, when I repent a change of mind about God, about Jesus, about my sin, about me, it produced a change, a physical change in me. It made me want to do good for others. It made me want to do things God's way and not my way. It wanted me to live within the will of God. And it wasn't that it was an instant change, and I'm not perfect to this very day, but God has begun to work in me that He has promised He will continue until the day that I am redeemed. And I trust and have full faith that He will because every single day I get into this Word, He changes me and makes me a little bit better. He shaves off rough edges. He makes me uh, things that I used to do I don't do anymore. He, he, mature, he matures me spiritually all because I had a change of mind about who Jesus Christ was and I believed on Him and trusted in Him for my salvation. You see, we get so caught up sometimes in what the, the sinner's prayer or, or this or that and these things that really aren't, aren't biblical things anyways. They're just things that churches have utilized over the years to try to, to bring people into the faith. But what it all boils down to is people simply need to repent and believe. In other words, to, to turn their life to Jesus Christ and believe upon Him for their salvation.
If we can simply get that message out to people. I've had people tell me, I had a kid come to me one time in class. True story, come to me in class. It was after, it was between class, it was during lunch, like right at the beginning of lunch, and said, uh, Mr. Bays, now I, I know you're a pastor. Can you write down the sinner's prayer for me that I may say it and go to heaven? And I thought, my goodness, this kid is so mislost on what salvation is all about. And I had to say, I sit him down and took him through God's Word and led him to, to the Lord and explained to him exactly what the Bible says. That it wasn't about a special words or being well-spoken or saying some magical thing. It is simply about casting yourself upon the mercies of the Lord and allowing Him to save you. You see, it's more about submission, submitting your life, submitting yourself to the gospel message. To throw yourselves on the mercy of the Lord and allow Him to come in and to, and to cleanse you. He said, well, but the Bible says those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you're right, they shall. But why do they call? They call because they believe. So that's why we pray. That's why we come to an altar of prayer that wherever it may be, at the front of a church, your house, a pew, wherever, we come because we believe the gospel. When we believe the gospel, what can we do but cry out to God? Uh, we put ourselves, and when we truly believe the gospel, it brings it to a state where all we can uh, muster up is to cry out to God. Um, that would be the same as being in the ocean and knowing you're going to sink and drown and see a vessel passing by and not crying out for help. It would be foolish. It wouldn't make any sense. So when we realize that we are lost, realize who Jesus Christ is, we cry out to Him to save us. And whatever words we say, uh, the night I was saved, I couldn't, I really can't look back and tell you the words I said because I knew at that moment I was more concerned with the fact that the Lord reached me than me reach Him because I, I knew I needed Him. And I know he heard me that night. When we go to the next section of this, this is the place where a lot of people get lost. So please pay close attention because I don't want you confused on this. Um, he goes in here after he says, Repent and repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, in the King James, it sometimes writes things backwards. And you'll see that if you go throughout the King James, uh, just, that was the, sort of the old English way of talking. But what if we really want to put it into modern-day English, a better way to say this would be repent for the remission of sins and be baptized and flip that. Um, but we notice here that repentance, salvation, and baptism all throughout the Bible is generally inseparable. Now, we are not uh, saved because we are baptized, but people who get saved get baptized. It's just the way the Bible works it out. Uh, you see the Ethiopian eunuch, after he believes, come to salvation. What is the first thing he wants to do? He wants to get baptized. Why? Because we, it's an act of obedience. See, once uh, we come to realize who Jesus Christ is, we acknowledge that he is Lord, we acknowledge that he is Savior, we also acknowledge that we want to, to be obedient to him. And our first act of obedience, again, is baptism. Baptism for the Jews meant a separation from Judaism. It connected them to Jesus Christ. And they walked away from the law and walked in to grace. Baptism for the Jew is the final disconnect. You see, for the Jew, once they were baptized, for most Jewish cultures, they were excommunicated. That was it. There was no going back and being a Jew again. Once they were baptized, they were uh, identified with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ to the Jews was, was a false prophet. So the Jews were not going to allow that person to come back. For us, the Christian, when we are baptized, it is a disconnect from the old life to walk in a new life. We are buried in, in the image of His death and risen to walk in the newness of life. That's really what baptism is. That is the acknowledgement of what Christ done in us and that we are going to walk in a way that is obedient to Him. When we are baptized, it is the wedding ring of our relationship with God. When we go to a, a somewhere and we get married, 
You know, you can't visibly see that marriage bond. But what you can see is the wedding ring that the person wears. And when you place that wedding ring on your finger, it is showing your relationship with your wife or your husband. The same way baptism shows our relationship with Jesus Christ. It shows what Jesus Christ did for us, and it should be an honor to be follow the Lord into baptism. You see, baptism does not save us, yet the idea of an unbaptized Christian we don't see anywhere in the Bible because, again, it is a pleasure to be baptized. When we think about who we are, that we are a wretched sinner, our most righteous works are filthy rags, that we owe nothing, that we have nothing we can give to God, yet God sees fit to go to the cross of Calvary and to die for us. Remember, crucifixion is not just like an instantaneous shot that you go down. This is talking about painful, gruesome death that Jesus went through, that we may be saved once we receive that forgiveness. Anything that we can do, be it baptism or the Lord's Supper, should be viewed as an honor for the church. Should be viewed as an honor for the Christian to participate in. You see, we often talk about that public profession of faith. And for a Christian, we, you know, we have the ABCs of salvation that we use for our kids that we accept, believe, and, and confess. Um, or sometimes admit, believe, and confess, depending on how they have it worded. That public confession of faith, while we, it can be a walk to the front of the church in the Bible, the way people publicly confess Jesus Christ was through baptism. And then following in the Lord's Supper. It is impossible in my mind to live forever as a closet Christian. Because long as we are doing that, we, we are in disobedience. We need to be united. The Bible talks about uh, being assembled together. And we're not assembled together just because... Um, you know, because we need the church, but the bottom line is the church needs each other, needs different parts of the church. Uh, often, you know, we think about our own body. If we had an arm cut off, I guarantee we would go to a doctor somewhere. But yet, a lot of times in the body of Christ, a member is missing and, and we don't really do anything about it or don't acknowledge that it's a big deal. But it is a big deal. Because as Christians, once we are saved, once we are born again, once we, we follow the Lord and believe in baptism, we are on fire with God, we need to stay on fire with God. We need to, to stay in a place where we are in the will of God. Because the fourth thing God tells us there, that once we are saved and once we have remission of our sins, we have been forgiven, God gives us something. He gives us the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God. Every born-again believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit the minute they are saved. It is not a separate work. It is not a later work. But it comes the minute they are saved. And the Holy Spirit of God resides in every one of us. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. Holy Spirit's a person. It's the part of that trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what rests inside us in the Old Testament. It came back and forth amongst people and all throughout the Old Testament, regardless of their condition. It would come and speak to wicked people to try to convict them and change them and mold them to get their attention. Jesus taught His disciples in Luke eleven thirteen that they might receive the Spirit through prayer to the Father. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, he promised that he would himself pray to the Father that in answer the Comforter, which the Holy Spirit would come. On the day of Pentecost, earlier in the book of Acts, the Spirit came upon the whole body of believers. And after Pentecost, the Spirit was given to all that believed. And if you're here tonight, you believe in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you've been saved, the Spirit is in you tonight. And here's the beautiful thing about that. And you, I didn't think about this till probably about a year ago. If the Holy Spirit is in the church... The same Holy Spirit is in the church. In other words, the same Holy Spirit you got is the same Holy Spirit I got. And in that are 
We have a sameness, a oneness to us, that we are united, that we all have that same spirit that is inside us. You see, it is different to have the spirit than to be filled with the spirit, though. A lot of times Christians have the spirit, but that spirit's in there and they're not using it a whole lot. In order to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to serve God. You've got to be in His will. When you do that, you have a feeling of the Spirit. And when you have a feeling of the Spirit, you have a certain trust in Jesus Christ that you don't have when you just possess the Spirit. You can walk with confidence when you have a feeling of the Spirit. Because that Spirit that fills you, the Spirit that uh, you are anointed by, the Spirit that uh, drives you, is also the Spirit that helps you, it comforts you, it assists you, it leads you. You see, when we sin against the Spirit, we kind of squash that Spirit. We do things like blaspheming, resisting, or insulting the Spirit. And let me tell you something, folks. It happens more often than not, sadly. Uh, the reason we don't have Holy Ghost Spirit-filled revivals like... I'm not going to say we once did because it's before my lifetime but let Plep you hear about sometimes. Is because people are not following the Spirit. People aren't living in obedience to the Spirit. They get saved, they get born again, and then they sit. And they have the Spirit, they carry it around with them, but they don't use it. They don't utilize it. They don't, they don't, they don't take advantage of the fact that they have God's Spirit within them. They just live happy that they possess it. I don't know about you. If i got something special, I want to use it. If I had a, a nice Corvette, I'd want to drive up and down the road ever so often. And what we have is not nicer and a lot more special than any old car. But yet so oftentimes we, we resist it, we insult it, we, we go against it. You see, when we sin against the Spirit, we grieve Him by allowing evil in the heart or alive and to quench Him by disobedience. We watch things we shouldn't watch, we say things we shouldn't say, we do things we shouldn't do, and we don't do things we should do, and we don't say things we should say. And through that, the Spirit it gets grieved, it gets quenched, and it goes. I've been in churches before where you go there and you'll preach. And man, I tell you, it's the easiest place in the world to preach. People is just uh, so happy to be there, so so full of love, so full of compassion. Uh, you get done preaching and, and, you, and people are just so moved by the Spirit of God. You go back a year later and it's just barely fizzling. People don't speak to you. People don't love each other. People don't, uh, or, or just don't really want to be there. You can tell by the way they act. And you think, my goodness, something has happened along the way to grieve the Spirit of God. And it don't take a whole lot sometimes. We must be very wary, each and every single one of us, that as we are saved and born again and possess the Spirit of God, that we walk in obedience to the Spirit of God, even to the point that sometimes it may be painful. When He sways us, we should be willing for Him to put anything away that may grieve Him or hinder His powers. Sometimes we need to turn the TV off, sometimes we need to turn the computer off, the phone off, the internet off, and just get along with God. Because it's amazing, there was a... A self-help guru guy who had the saying that said, put first things first, and you'd be amazed how much you can get done. And that's so true. If you eliminate the junk out of your lives and put the first things first, the most important things first, the amazing the things you can find time to do in your spiritual life. You eliminate the things that isn't necessary, you'd be amazed the time you can find to get into the Bible. Amazed the times you can find to witness, to testify, to knock on doors, to, to, to share the gospel with people. And you'll walk more bold, and you'll get more of the Spirit, and you'll keep on moving. So the question you have to ask yourself is this. When we talk about salvation, talk about the steps that Peter gives to be saved, do we give it people in a way they can understand it? Do we tell them in, you know, in simple terms, repent and believe on Jesus Christ? Or do we get into too many churches? I've done it. I'll tell you first and foremost, I know I do it because it's habitual. You get a habit forming. It's easy to do. 
But our people need to hear in a way they can understand, a way they can respond. Our people need to hear in a biblical way, the way the Bible said it needed to be done. And when we do this, are we doing it with a filling of the Spirit? Let me tell you something. If you witness to people, you testify to people, and, you, and you've not been in your Word, you've not prayed, you've not walked close to God, you're not going to have the power of God upon you that you really need to have to have an impact on people. There is a difference. When you confront someone, you talk to them about salvation, and you really haven't been doing what you need to do with God, they can tell, they notice, they know something's off. Folks, if you're going out to battle... You want your guns loaded. If you're going to a spiritual battle, you want to be prayed up, read up, and ready to go. And we need to make sure that we're doing those things, that we're taking the care of ourselves when we go out to that spiritual battle, that we're prepared to fight the things the devil's going to throw at us. The devil does not lose willingly. The devil does not sit down and give up. The devil finds ways to attack back and back and back. Remember, he went to Jesus and tempted Jesus time and time again. Jesus gave him the word. Do you have enough word in here, enough word in the heart to do that? Or are you just trying to go by and you know, fly by night and do the best you can? Folks, it is just like exercise. The Bible says that bodily exercise profit the man little, but spiritual exercise, it'll mean a whole lot. I tell you, it makes a difference. It has an impact. When we talk about things like repentance, when you think about things like the old prodigal son, we talked about him this morning. The prodigal son repented. Why? He recognized where he was at and what shape he was in, and he recognized that Father's way was better. Let me tell you something. We let people know that God's way is better. That through Jesus, things are better. Life is not perfect. The Bible says if our hope was in this world, we'd be of most, of most men most miserable. However... Salvation, knowing that we don't have to worry about a place called hell, knowing that we have forgiveness, knowing we have a relationship with the Lord, it's better. I had to go to the doctor Thursday, and I used to hate going to doctors. I'd never been to doctors and had a good report for the most part. But I walked into that doctor's office with confidence that day because before I went in, I prayed and I said, Lord, let you receive glory for whatever happens here because I have the Lord on my side. I have a relay. He knows I am his son. I know he wants what's best for me, and I trust him. If you're lost, you don't have the Lord on your side. If you're lost, you don't have the Heavenly Father as your spiritual Father. Folks, there's so much we have to gain from salvation. So much we have to gain by repenting, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So much we have to gain by having a relationship with the Father. That why would people not want that? Why would people choose a devil's hell and an eternity there where a place where you don't go to die, a place where you go to live in torments forever over a place called heaven where there's no pain, no suffering, no torments and a relationship with God while we're here on earth. And not only that, we have a church family we, that loves us, that cares for us, and we look out for each other. Um, Sadie had a, uh, she had her, her got a grandparents' day come thing Monday, and schedules were kind of found out last minute, schedules were all crazy, and didn't know we were going to get everything lined out to get someone there, and I said, well, nothing else, she's got a whole church full of grandparents. We'll find someone to go. Um, and I felt, and I was confident in that. I knew it wasn't a problem because we have a good church family. Folks, there's so much you get through that relationship with the Lord that we just sometimes take for granted. Folks, it's the stuff we need to tell people about, but just how good it is to have, a, have that relationship with God. And if they want it, it ain't complicated to get it. You know, and sometimes I think people, you know, I, I've talked to kids before, and that's where I get most of my information because that's who I spend most of my days with is teenagers. And they'll tell you, they say, well, I'm waiting for the Lord to speak to me. And I say, well, what do you, you expect him to say? What kind of audible voice do you think is going to be yelling at you? 
Has he revealed to you you need to be saved? Well, yeah, he's, he's made me... I felt convicted I need to be saved. Well, what more do they want? Um, and our family and loved, loved ones, neighbors, they're in the same condition. It's no different. They may be older, may be younger, or in between. We need to let them know. Say, listen, if you know you need to be saved, then you need to do something about it. And it doesn't involve coming to church. I'm thrilled to death they do show up here, but I'm more thrilled to death that they accept Jesus Christ and go to church somewhere. They wind up wherever, praise God, as long as they get saved and get in God's house. doesn't have to take place here. It can take place here, but they need to make sure that heaven's going to be their home and not hell. Folks, repent and believe. It's simple. Don't complicate it. Keep it simple. We're going to turn to page 314.